Hey, what's up, guys? It's Dan from United Q. It's Wednesday, which means we have another awesome podcast to get your hump day. And I'm here with my co-host, Barbecue Forte. Hello. And we are brought to you by ProQ Barbecue Gourmet and Smoke with Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ is dedicated to providing you with quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Massive motorbike drive past. So if you're thinking of buying your first smoker, wanting to upgrade, or even looking for some authentic charcoal commercial smokers and just charcoal cabinet smokers, then check them out over at Max Barbecue. And Barbecue Gourmet is devoted to promoting real barbecue and supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning barbecue rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories from around the world. And in particular, the United States. <laughs> yeah. Doing you can, so well today. You can find them on Twitter and online on Barbecue Gourmet. So regardless of how you cook, whether it's on charcoal, wood, gas or electric, the real taste of barbecue can be yours all year round. And on today's show, we have Andy Williams, who is a KCBS judge. Uh, and all-round great guy. All-round great guy. Member of the, the BBQ fam. Mm-hmm. Uh often seen around all the barbecue events and just general food events in the UK really he likes to try and get to as many as possible uh, yeah so let's we're just going to give him a call let's uh, hope this works calling is it calling hello 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 how's it going bro you right? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks. Great to have you on. Yeah, thank you very much. No worries. It's a great honour. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. It's an honour to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to introduce yourself, Andy, for all the listeners? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, my name's Andy Williams. I'm a barbecue fanatic and um, I've been judging mostly sort of since 2010 in... Um, across Europe and in England and a couple of times in the States and I've sort of dabbled in competing a little bit but I've mostly sort of judged uh, probably about 25 barbecue competitions on different circuits Awesome, awesome. And are they are they all KCBS or are you doing a variety of different competitions? Um, I've done about 10 or 12 KCBS that are sort of quite highly regulated and there's a lot of rules around um how many judges you have and at those events you normally only sort of judge six of each sort of the four main categories so you sit on a table with six judges and you all try six ribs six briskets but i've um judged at probably eight or nine grill stock events in england as well and there the sort of strategy is to have a table of just five judges and we try all of the teams that can be a bit of a challenge especially this year when there were 27 teams, I think. So 27 briskets with 27 slices and 27 burnt ends is quite a quite a task <laughs> to try and make What do you do through. to prepare yourself for that? Do you like starve yourself for a few days or do you actually eat even more to stretch your stomach ready for it all? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I normally, uh, I normally don't eat very much for a few days before. And it's, it's worse after, actually. It's normally you have to sort of, you know, try and stick to vegetables and salad afterwards it's a bit of a meat overload really um, yeah, doing doing the sort of two days because you normally do the, the brisket and the pork but both on the same day and what people forget is that the brisket's got sort of slices and burnt ends and then the, the pork 
talk has normally got pulled and sort of chunks and sort of a slight money muscle. So it's quite. And do you need to taste all of it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You need judging, to judge, you have to chase like you, all the different parts that are presented. And I think that yeah, you, you, yeah, you do. And I think that's important. And what the teams sort of sometimes forget is they'll put them all in a box because they think that's what they're supposed to do. But you quite often get like a burnt end that's not great, and that will pull the score down. It's you know people should sometimes perhaps not put all that stuff in there. Um, I know that um, um, McSlims a couple of times have only put. And pulled pork in, sort of going against the sort of grain of what the other teams do, and it's just such great pulled pork. They they won a couple of times just on keeping it really simple. I think people try to sometimes try to overcomplicate it. They look online and see what the Americans are doing, and try to copy that. And but you know, just keep it simple and keep it really good quality. I think is the sort of key. Yeah, like you say, if you can concentrate all your efforts and nail one of them, that could be enough instead of. Perhaps being too thin on the top, like scoring for all of the different ones. If you just concentrate yeah, on getting it, one perfect, then that could give you a better overall score. Yeah, it's, it's the brisket normally that separates the teams out. I mean, if you sort of sit through sort of quite a few competitions, the chicken is normally the pretty high standard. Pulled pork, you can say, you know, is pretty normally pretty much of a really high standard. Um, it's the brisket where people fall over because it's just a hard thing to cook. It's a long cook. It's quite a difficult thing to do. And I think what you find is um, here in England, because the teams aren't competing so much, they haven't practiced. You're seeing in Europe now, the teams are competing probably two or three times a month, and so they're probably cooking in between that. And the standard in Europe has really, really risen. And I think um, it's become quite a good scene over there. Um, So it used to be that the sort of English teams were sort of always winning when they went over to Europe because they've been cooking for a lot longer than the Europeans have. But they're really definitely catching up and it's become quite a good competition scene in Europe. And that's probably reflected. I mean, we've just had the American Royal and the Jack the last couple of weeks. And then the UK teams and the European teams are doing really well there too now. And I think, you know, five, six years ago, they used to really bomb out. But I think they're sort of pitching in the middle of a lot of US teams who cook have been cooking for a long time. I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll probably be able to enlighten us a bit more on the European side, but obviously we had the bunch of swines and the uh, smoking Yankees Belfast team from the uh, from the UK that went over. And a uh, bunch of swines, they both did very well, and in particular, a bunch of swines overall 48, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, just to put that into perspective, the most winningest man in barbecue, Myron Mixon, was 62 with Jack's Old South. So... I mean, they did absolutely fantastic placing tenth uh, in chicken, eighty uh, third overall in ribs, sixtieth in pork, and ninety sixth in brisket. Yeah. But I mean, we're talking about out of two hundred teams, and in the grand scheme of things, on the open as well. I mean, you've got five hundred and fifty teams competing in that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's absolutely amazing to see them doing so well. Yeah, no, 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 it is, and 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 a bunch of swines in particular have been sort of, you know. Um, they their brisket has probably been top of the game in in Europe for the last three or four years, and that kind in particular, I think it's about your experience of cooking it, and that's why the American teams have always done so well. They've been cooking like this for twenty twenty five years, you know, and the teams are, have got a lot of experience. And I think Fred and Emma, you know, to be cooking at that sort of standard um, is just incredible. And um, um, I'm surprised their brisket didn't didn't do better than that actually because their brisket's normally really good 
Um, but I guess that's, that, that, that comes down to the to how it's doing on the day. Exactly. Yeah, I mean the, the, the European scene. So, so I went to the first um, competition in Europe, sort of five or six years ago in Amsterdam, and I think next year they're looking at having forty competitions in Europe, which is just just amazing because it's only a small place, really. The Dutch are probably putting on eight or nine competitions just in Holland. It's incredible. Yeah, there are a lot of teams in Holland then. Yeah. 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 Cool. So, awesome. so, in the in the last year, how many different events have you been a judge at? Um, um, just trying to think. I think I did five or six last year. Um, I was trying to do a few more, but um, but sort of did, couldn't wasn't able to travel to as many as I, I planned to. Um, so I've done sort of a few different circuits. I've done Toby's IBQN circuit here in England. So I did a couple of those. Um, to the grill stock and then did a couple of KCBS events um, in Belgium and in Holland. Um, so, and it's a great way to sort of travel also. You know, I'd really encourage people who are involved or interested in barbecue to, to, to do a KCBS course. Um, if you're on the team, go and do it to see what the other teams are doing and get some clues about what it is you'll need to be doing. If you're just interested in barbecue and don't cook in a team, it's a great way to just become part of a community and travel, go to parts of Europe you haven't seen before, and eat some great food. It's really nice. Mm. It, Although, yeah, mum. I know you know you probably can't go into it too much with the KCBS side of things, but like, if for someone who does want to go on a course, what sort of thing could they expect to learn and like go through when they do a KCBS judging course? Okay, so there's um there's quite a lot of um rules that, that that are mostly centered around um not being able to identify which team it is you're judging um the stakes in the u.s where the rules sort of came from are quite high you have some quite high prize money in in the u.s even in europe now there's an event in germany where i think the first prize was ten thousand euros so the stakes are pretty big and mm. um, so a lot of the rules are around not being able to identify it so no sculpted meats you can't sort of give away that you know give a few judges the nod that um, oh, this is what our meat's going to look like. No pool, pool sauces. So again, it's just trying to keep away from things that might identify this is our box. Although it is double blind, um, it is double blind judge. So the chances of you being able to influence, get influence of a, of, of a score are pretty low. Um, so that's one that you go through the rules on the courses. And then quite often they'll cook some sort of, um, you get to judge a couple of rounds. So they'll cook some good ribs and they'll cook some bad ribs. And you'll all sit together and sort of judge them and then discuss them. Because um, that's something you can't do on a KCBS event. When, you, when you're judging, there's got to be absolute silence. You know, not allowed to even rise, raise your eyes when you taste a great rib. So you go through that and you go through the rules and you go through the sort of, um, um, the sort of atmosphere of it, because you're at KCBS events, you're normally sort of hidden away from the competition too, because they try to do it very, very secret. Um, so yeah, you go through the rules, you have a go at judging, and then you um, you try a few things out to sort of have a practice judge at it. And the big thing they will tell you is that it's not supposed to be a comparative exercise. So you're not, when you judge a competition, you're not judging this rib against that rib or the next rib, you're judging it against the sort of standard. And I've had some quite heated arguments with other judges about that because I think as you judge more, your standards change. You know, you will eat a better brisket if you go to more competitions. So you start to think, well, you know, I know this isn't great brisket because I've had a great brisket, you know, 
when I was in Holland last year, and I think I've had some really heated debates with some of the uh, KCBS organisers about that. Because your terms of reference change. You know, it's like you cooking at home. When you get better at it, you know that the ones you were doing a year ago weren't so good. Mm. Yeah, and like what what makes it what makes it the good for brisket and stuff? Because people like it in different ways as well. So, like, are you judging it based on your personal preference, or is have they dictated like a criteria to you which is defining what a good brisket is? Well, they do define what how to judge it in terms of its tenderness and in terms of um, taste and give you examples of, of what good brisket is and what, what it shouldn't look like. So if you look through the KCBS rules, it'll tell you about, you know, ribs are a great example, and that causes a lot of debate again. Um, in a competition, ribs aren't supposed to be cooked so they're falling off the bone. They're full tapped, supposed to sort of stick to bone and have a bit of bite. If you overcook it, it goes quite mushy, but people who cook in ribs at home tend to prefer it like that. Um, so it's just sort of having an understanding of what that looks like and how that is. Um, so it's supposed to make it quite a consistent thing, but I've judged with a couple of American judges who've come over to Europe, and I think here in Europe we don't have our barbecue food so sweet, so we'll have a bit more heat in it and a bit more sharpness in it. And the Americans don't like that. If it's not really sugary and really sweet, um, they will score it down. So I think there is a difference in palates, and I think there is a, there is a sort of European barbecue taste evolving um, is different from an American one where they tend to use lots of sugar and syrup and things like that and make it very, very sweet. So do you think that could be why like, a bunch of swines is like nailing it all so much in the Europe and then 96 in brisket there? Is that just, yeah. uh, just the taste profiles? Not yeah, quite it could the same be. Not for the American uh, market? Or? Yeah, and a lot of people do spend a lot of time sort of working on their taste profiles. I know um, Scott and Lynn's, they, um, they spend a lot of time, you know, they realized that the flavor profile in the U.S. was different, and they've done really well in, in, in local KCBS competitions in the States. And then they cook very differently there from the way they cook in, in Europe and in England. Yeah, and I think even even across the U.S., I remember from watching like the Pitmasters programs on the TV, like they'd even, in the different sort of areas of the U.S., they even have different flavor profiles as you travel around, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and ribs are another, again, you know, a lot of places will only have dry ribs. Other places will have, you know, ribs mocked in sauce. And so I think the teams who compete in the States, they will tend to operate regionally too. They don't tend to travel long distances because they're, cause they're normally cooking in that in that region where they know they do well. And the big players obviously are pretty good at, at sort of adapting what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but most of the teams will normally... You know, and the the sort of the mustard and sharp sauces that some parts of the states have, and other parts of the states have a lot of really sort of sugary sauces. And I guess that's a sign of a sort of regional variation. And I know down in Texas that, that the competitions down there are very different because they're mostly cooking brisket, and I don't think their pork works so well because of that. Mm. And the the actual like score in itself, like how do the how does the numbers like, work out? Because like, I see, like, from a bunch of swines pick like, their chicken, it's like one hundred seventy-seven point seven one four four. Like, how do they? How, do, <laughs> how does that number come out? I don't know. They have a <laughs> the, the KCS people have a mysterious software program that 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 translates normal scores from judges into a very complex and long number. So normally, when you're uh, when you're judging under KCS rules. 
you um, score something um, from zero or from one to nine. Um, so nine is incredible, excellent, the best thing I've ever eaten. And, and you score that nine for appearance, so what it looks like in the box when it's presented to you, um, for taste and for texture. So your thing's sort of three nines or two eights and a nine if it's a really good box. So I'm, I'm never really clear how they get 168.739. I don't know how they do that. But they have, I know it's very complex because they do really weird things. They weight the scores. So not all the scores have the same weight in KCBS. Um, and then they will drop the lower score. So if you've got six people all judging your ribs, for example, on one table, um, if someone scores it really low because, you know, for some reason they don't, they don't like it, that score gets dropped in the instance, you know, to try and get okay. sort of a consistent fair yeah, score. It makes but, like the averages work out better, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I think the way you get to that sort of case of yes score is quite complex and they have a very complicated um, spreadsheet. Okay. Doing it. Yeah, I just wondered how it ended up into point point numbers. I was like, oh, that seems strange. Yeah, no, no, no very not, weird scorings. Yeah, I'm not sure if the weighting if the weighting does that, but you'd think that it would still be a whole number. But I suspect the, the multiplier they're using to weight it's probably um, got decimal points in it that that generate that sort of thing. Yeah, and then you said the number of judges is down to like six per table. Yeah, and then. How many tables will they have? Just depending on how—is that just how big the competition is? You have, yeah. So, um, so the case gets organisers. You normally end up with slightly more judges than you have teams. So, if you've got twenty teams, you probably have sort of uh, twenty-four judges. So, um, you won't always get six um, pieces of meat on your table if the, if the numbers are slightly out. But you'll always have more more judges. So, when you look at the American Royal. I think they had 620 judges there judging the, the, the team. So wow. I don't know how you organise that. Yeah. It's just incredible. <laughs> it's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the logistics of trying to get, you know, meet from a, from a team that's come in as a blind entry then to go in, to, go in to, to judge and then collate in all the scores must be really complex. Yeah. Um, so when you say it's double blind, how, what's that mean? It's taken to someone who then takes it to someone else is that the double yeah. blind is it yeah so the um the teams have a numbered box so that the team that's competing will have a number that's their team their, their team number the competition that goes on your box when you turn it in the people in the sort of turning area will then put a different sticker on it so it goes to the table with a different number on it <clears throat> so it's got two different numbers which hopefully means that you can never trace it back and then they have a system that ensures that so if you're on a table of six judges, you won't ever taste um, two different meats from the same team. So you'll never do the ribs and the brisket from one team. You'll only ever look at one lot of meat from one team. And they they, they, they try very hard to ensure that happens. So you have a checklist of numbers to make sure that you haven't seen that, that team's number before. There's a lot of organisation involved, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, um, we, we sort of helped out running the Pengrilli barbecue thing last year and it you know when you just sit down and try and work out how to do a small competition like that from scratch it's, you realize how complex it is and you start to see why someone like KCBS and the IBQM people have such complex rules really yeah definitely, definitely. it needs to be there they don't to make it fair it does yeah and I think um if that does bring a lot of credibility to sort of the team if you've got you know if you've got 25 teams who've 
who were cooking for two days and invested a lot of time and effort and money in getting there and practicing. It's important that the that you know you can stand by the, the results really. What about like getting out and walking around? Are you allowed as a judge to like walk around the competition and see people cooking itself, or do you need to almost stay anonymous and out the way? <laughs> yeah, so the um, the, the competitions run, normally run over two days. Um, so they they normally turn up on a Friday in Europe and then cook on the Saturday and then turn in on the Sunday. So you're not really supposed to talk to the teams on the Sunday, but you can go and have a chat to them and have a beer with them on a on the Saturday, really, it's, it's turning morning that, that you need to be a bit careful because you don't want to see them, what they're putting in the box because, you know, you can recognise stuff if people are putting it in a box in a certain way and you see that on the morning, you will recognise it when it turns up in the in the competition and, you know, that's an element that they don't want to have. So normally, there's sort of no um, fraternising, as the Americans like to call it. Yeah. Have you ever tasted the, something and just gone... I just I know whose this is because I can just taste whose it is or not. I think um, at, some, at one point I tried so much of um, Ed Nemmer's brisket that was that was always winning. So it's, it's sort of in in smaller European competitions and in and in um, and in grill stuff, you get to the point where you know it's one of two or three teams normally because because it's just of such a different standard. Mm. If you're eating twenty five briskets at grill stuff, for example, you'd normally get sort of 15 or 20 of them are pretty average and probably only two or three that stand out. So you normally start to recognise sort of flavour profiles and the standard of it. And um, chicken's another one. On the turning, when you look in the box, um, you get a real wide range of, of how well it's presented and you'll get like two or three teams that you just open the box and go, oh, you know, these people are cooking at, a, at an international standard and the rest of it isn't. So I guess you do start to get to see it. Mm. Um, but you've got to be, you know, if you go to a competition with 70-odd judges, you've got to be lucky to, to see a team's box that you've seen before, and then you'd only ever see one of them. So you, the chance of you being able to influence results are really negligible, I think. And then the other thing that case guests do is they look at the sort of um, the spread of the scores, and, you know, the judges will chat about it afterwards. And then... They're normally pretty consistent, um, in in my experience. So if you sort of you're supposed to only take one bite of something because you've got you know quite a lot of meat to eat. But if you get a really good rib or a really good bit of chicken, if you look around the judges' table, the judges invariably have all eaten all of the same one. There's only one rib bone that's stripped bare, and it's always normally mm. the same one. <laughs> so I think it's I think it does work. You know, people sort of doubt it a little bit, but I think it's probably it's come out of 20 years of competition, the sort of KCBS and those sort of similar sort of competitions. And I think um, I think it's probably good you're going to get. Do you think there's like advantages of like your turning time of like if you're last, are like judges too full up and not judging it as well? Uh, that's a real, that's a real, there's a lot of debate about that. But I've cooked with a guy from the US, um, Byron, who makes um, Byron's butt rub. Um, and he's, he's obsessed about turning in the very last. So you've got a 10-minute window to turn in your four samples. So the chicken starts at 12 o'clock, but you can turn it in between five minutes before 12 or five minutes after 12. And he will insist on you only having 10 seconds left of that 10-minute window. And it's really stressful because he's still painting the sauce on, still messing around. 
Other teams say you should try and get it in early because it'll get straight to the judges and it'll still be hot. If you get it in last, it might hang around. So there's, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot. Of, there's a big argument about whether I want to be first, last, or in the middle. Because um, you get at the beginning, you just think, "Oh, this is the best rib I've ever eaten. I'll eat the whole yeah. thing." <laughs> but until you get to the end, you're like, actually, I think that one might be better. But I'm full up now because I've eaten all the other ones. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I think that's um that's the sort of benefit you have of having a, some more experienced judges. And I think a lot, some of the criticism that's been of KCBS in Europe um, has been if you get a big competition and you're starting to struggle to get judges, you will pull in some quite inexperienced judges. And if you've got a competition with a lot of inexperienced judges, the judging scores just do start to look very, very weird. And the teams get quite upset about it. So you get teams who will always come first, second, third or fourth they go to a big competition and they come in 10th or 15th or 20th. And they might argue that it's because the judges aren't, aren't experienced enough. You know, if you haven't seen a lot of barbecue, you, that's the sort of thing you do. You'll eat, eat the first rib and think, oh, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. You give it a really high score. And that's not the way you're supposed to be doing it. And oh, yeah. it, it takes time for you to get, you know, get your palate adjusted really and get an understanding of what it is you're trying to look for. Um, and I think Europe's, you know, there's a higher sort of core of judges now in, in Europe that have probably done 10, 15, 20, 25 competitions. And if you can get enough of those at your competition, and then um, the organisers will try and ensure that those judges are, are mixed up with less experienced judges. And I think that's that's normally getting a fairer outcome. But it's, it is like a vicious circle, because without these new judges judging, they're never going to get experience. So it's sort of like you need... To have that it's sort mixed, of a good mix of of new judges and experienced judges, and as you said, they tend to be placed with the new judges on tables so that they can advise or not advise them. But because you said you're all silent, and you're not even allowed to talk to each other, so you're not. That's even, right. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. You're not really yeah. going to learn anything from anyone else. You just got to learn by doing, I guess. Learn by eating. Yeah, you normally you normally talk about it afterwards. So once everybody's okay. finished judging, and you put your slips in, you probably have a chat about what it was. Um, it's a really good thing to fill in judges' comments cards too, particularly if the, you don't think the team's done really good. Otherwise, they don't get much feedback about why you think it wasn't very good. So, is it too salty? Is it too smoky? Does it taste a career? So, um, sort of more experienced judges will tend to fill those comment cards in to give a bit of positive feedback to the team. But um, I think in this country, sort of KCBS events, you'd struggle to get. Um, breadth of experience with judges because they'll normally run a course and then you'll they'll tend to all be judging at your event and what you need to do is try and get some more experienced people in and i think we struggle a little bit here because we just haven't had enough competitions in in kcbs competitions yeah particularly. and then hopefully things things will change and we can get some more competitions and some more judging classes some more some more competitions being more experienced with judges and hopefully things will just get better and better from there uh, yeah, yeah. I think the other thing we're quite lucky is we've got, you know, Toby obviously did a lot of work for a long time and there's some really talented cooks around sort of the IBQN circuit as well. You know, you've had a lot of people, I think, on your on your, on your your podcast, haven't you? You know, people like Steve Hayes and... Yeah, and definitely. Ed Nehmer have all sort of come from Toby's sort of school of barbecue, if you want to call it that. And then... So we have got some some good people about perhaps we need to get a few of them judging a bit more because they've obviously got a lot of experience and they what you know 
they know the pitfalls of a biscuit. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. They do, like Toby does his own like IBQN sort of judging criteria yeah. as well for his competition. So like you say, they've, they've done similar sort of things already, so they'd be good to get those sort of people involved. Yeah, yeah. So I've done a, I've done a couple of those, um, a couple of Toby's competitions. So the big meet this year, mm-hmm. and I did Mayhem in May this year too, um, and that was really good. Um, I think the sort of philosophy is very similar um, between KCBS and IBQN, but they have a few little tricks they do at IBQN that probably are more supportive of newer teams. Um, there's a dreadful rule in um, KCBS, but a foreign object rule. Um, so if you've got like a bit of wooden stick in your meat, it gets disqualified. And yeah. what happens is when people are probing their brisket, you sometimes get a tiny bit of foil pushed into the meat that you don't see until the judge has got it. And it's quite heartbreaking for a team who's been cooking for two days to get disqualified for a tiny bit of foil. I think the IBQM people are a bit more relaxed about that sort of thing happening, really, um, which is probably a fairer fair approach. And I think KCBS has changed this year. They've changed the foil rule, so they're sort of... Yeah, uh, I see it is fair and it isn't fair, though, because like, if you're in a restaurant and you got served up some meat without a piece of foil in the middle of it, then I'd definitely send it back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or hair in your... whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> More meat, less hair. Right, so <laughs> sticking with KCBS, because it's just an easy reference for us to to go with, what is like a, a, a day in life of the judges or what what would your usual sort of competition protocol or or regime be? Like you said the teams arrive on like the Friday. Do you tend to arrive on the Friday with the teams and then does do you get when when's like the, the cooks meet do you go attend the cooks meeting, there's a judges meeting? Like what what is the sort of uh, day in the life of a, a KCBS judge at an event? Yeah, I mean it depends how far I'm travelling, to be honest. If if I'm um, sort of going a going a long way, sort of if I'm, so I quite often go with my camper van over to Europe. Um, I'll normally go on the Friday yeah, and I'll go to the judges' meeting and the team meeting and just sort of, because I know quite a lot of people, it's just quite a sociable event to sort of go and have a chat around and then go and talk to the teams and see what they're doing on the, um, on the Saturday. And then normally quite a few judges will come in on the Sunday morning, so they'll sort of drive in um, and then it's a bit more strict then. Um, so... I'd probably say about half the judges will come in just on the Sunday morning. And then there's normally judges' registration at 9.30 and then the judges' briefing. They take you through the stuff. And you're not really supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to socialise with the the teams after that. So new judges in particular think that means they need to just stand in a field and not talk to anybody. But I think the people who've been around a little bit more, you can sort of have a wander around the, the cooking field and just say hello to people. It's just, you know... It's just been a bit sensible about about talking to them. So yeah, I normally go on the Friday. There's normally a bit of a party on a Saturday if the teams are not, well, Friday night or Saturday night. The teams are, you know, we normally have a few beers and it's quite a social evening. And, and then the Sunday is sort of when it's, when it's a bit more serious. And then I normally try to stay on for the prize giving as well. And a lot of judges don't do that in Europe. A lot of them would just sort of clear out. Um, there's sort of a group that will normally stay on until the, the prize giving getting at the end and sort of what goes from there. So it's a bit of a range, really. Hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. And when, when, as a judge, do you have to like annually redo a course, or do you, is there like if you judge so many events, you keep your certification, or is it just a one-off thing? You just do it once and you've got it forever. 
and and that's 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 another sort of sort of debate really that um um there's people who did a course sort of ten fifteen years ago that 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 may never do many competitions so so and they just sort of come out and do the odd competition here and there and would probably benefit from going back on the going back on another course or you know perhaps you have to do a certain number but that's not what they do. Um, KCBS, you just have to keep paying your subscription fee, and you you stay a judge. Um, and I'm, a few of the Americans I know are sort of they're registered as judge number three hundred and eighty-four. I think I'm judge number fifty-seven thousand. I think at the moment wow. they're on eighty-nine thousand or ninety thousand. It's just it is completely insane. So uh, I guess that is a that is the other sort of side of it. Um, but if I look at sort of what's happening in Europe, there's probably a, a core of about Thirty or forty judges that you will normally meet at most of the competitions, um, and we have one guy, a guy called Stephen Mera, who's the first um, master judge. So when you've done thirty competitions, you've judged thirty competitions, you do an online exam, and then you, you're classed as a master judge. And he's our first sort of European master judge. Awesome. And what yeah. does that status give you then? Just a bit of paper. Uh, Everybody bows. <laughs> the title. The yeah. <laughs> Everyone throws brisket at you when you arrive. To, to the World Championships in Lynchburg, and he judged the American Royal this year. So, um, because it's quite quite a new thing, the KCBS people will invite you out to to sort of do that. Um, so I I was sort of involved in the European barbecue scene as it sort of picked up. So I, I got invited to judge at the Jack Daniels a couple of years ago. Um, so. Wayne Lohman is the guy that organises a lot of the international competitions. He sort of rang me up and said, do you fancy coming to the World Championships in Lynchburg? So that was just a great, great opportunity really for me. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I was wondering if you're like a master judge, do your scores count double or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but um, yeah, they dot them about. You see, what you get in Europe a little bit now is you get a few Americans will come out and judge. So, well, they... They did until they started to think Europe was just, you know, full of too much trouble and too much angst. So they, they stopped coming this year. But you did, you did see a few sort of master judges coming out from the states and judging here. And I've met a few, a few people who do that. They're sort of a small group of them that like to do that. Um, so you're, you'll be approaching it soon. You said you've done like 25 now. Oh, no, they're not all KCBS, I guess. Yeah, they're not all KCBS, mm. unfortunately. Yeah, I need to try and work on that. But it's getting easier to do now. There's a lot more competitions and going on next mm. year. No brisket red carpet yet then mm. for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But when I went to the um, when I went to Lynchburg to the World Championships, the judges had their own toilet. So that was I thought that was almost royalty. <laughs> <laughs> How has it been at the Jack then? How was judging at the Jack? Because I mean, the Jack, you've got the Jack and the Royal tend to be like the the two sort of uh, the pinnacle, the pinnacle really of, of like barbecue. I mean, Miss Piggy's another massive shout out to them. Sixth yeah. and brisket. I mean, that is absolutely incredible, uh, and also did really well across the board. I mean, their, their chef's choice was a, another really good one, uh, and and they placed sixty six overall. Yeah. And uh, I mean that's that's amazing again. So congratulations to those guys, uh, both both UK teams, Miss Piggies and uh, bunch, of, bunch swines. of swines. Oh, and yeah. can't yeah. leave out the uh, yeah. smoking Yankees Belfast as well. Uh, all repping the uh, the UK scene really really hard over there and, and doing really really well. So thanks to you guys for for travelling over and uh, 
and spending your money and investing all the time and stuff, guys. So thank you very much and congratulations. But so how was it to actually be there and judge? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting debate that 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 the Americans will have with you that that the Jack and the and the Royal aren't always representative of proper grassroots barbecue, and that um, I know a couple of my American friends have said, yeah, it's all very well going to the Jack, but that's a big uh, commercial event. You need to go out to some of these little hicky places that have been having barbecue competitions in an old-fashioned way for the last 20 years. So I, I don't know whether 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 the World Championships is truly representative of the best barbecue in the States, I don't know, because because the way they choose the team. So if you're from a small part of a state that isn't cooking particularly well, you'll go to the World Championships because every state sends someone. You know what I mean? Yeah, you get yeah states, not necessarily. If you get states of the... If you get like a concentration of really good barbecue teams who are cooking to an amazing standard, they won't all go to the jack because only one team will get a bung to go to go there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I had a great time. It's just just fantastic event, just because it's the sort of epicenter of barbecue, really. And I haven't been to the American World, but that sort of looks, you know, to have six hundred teams is almost just on another level. But whether that is truly the best of the best of the best barbecue I don't know um, I just don't know so that's your shortcut route to get to the competition is to find a state with a really either no barbecue team or a really rubbish one and, <laughs> and, and what you, you find is teams will <laughs> teams will travel there to compete there because they know they'll get through to the, to the jack from there yeah. <laughs> so yeah there's politics and everything I might do it but, <laughs> you, know. you need to if you marry the chance I'm going to go do it <laughs> I mean, I've been invited to um, judge a competition in Italy next year that's been running for a couple of years. That's the Prime Uve one, and they they will only invite teams from that have won in Europe. So it's invitation only, and the judges were invitation only as well. So I'm I'm really really pleased that they've invited me to judge that next year. Yeah, I'm putting a good word for you. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> I said I put in a good word for you. Do it. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. And then, of course, then there's the there's the Bro and Q event next year as well. Yes. That's, um, that's uh, another invitational. So that's I think the invitational one on the Saturday is like all the teams that have won across Europe. So that that'd be a really interesting event. Yeah, I think everyone who's won in Europe's been invited, and uh, and they've had loads of people signing up and and taking places, which is awesome. They've got an open as well going on, I believe. Uh, yeah. On so it's like a two-day sort of running competition, hand in for the the uh, the open and then hand in for the invitational over split over the two days. That's yeah. that'll be a really good event, and uh, and that's uh, Miss Piggies. They're doing that one, so I'm really looking yeah. forward to that one. That should yeah. be really cool. Yeah. Hopefully, I can if I can. I don't know. Have they? Is it invit- Is that invitational judges only, or is that? Yeah. Yeah. You have to apply Unlucky. to judge to judge at that. I think, and they looked at. How many competitions you you judged at before for the um, the invitational one? But I don't know what's happening in the open one. But for the open competition, that'd be a great opportunity for like some of the teams in the UK to go and pitch themselves up against some of the best teams in Europe too. So that'd be that'd be a really interesting event. See how some of the teams get on there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, mm. I've also like I've I've been because we sort of have put the feelers out for possibly holding a, a KCBS. We've had a couple of judges contact us that are UK based as well that have uh, done a couple of competitions this year. So 
that I hadn't even didn't even weren't even aware that they were uh, they were there. So there's there's yeah. a couple of people in the woodwork that that have uh, been out there and and getting qualified, getting sanctioned, and and doing the course and getting some experience. So yeah. there are some sort of hidden hidden people there in the background, and hopefully uh, we might get some judges from Europe traveling over. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think um, I think there's 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 quite a demand for sort of to have more competitions. I think that you know the one the one you guys are putting on that that'll go down really well. I think it'd be it'd be great, and if we can get some qualified judges over for that, um, I do know. That, yeah, there there are some around in England. It might be worth um, trying to contact Casey. Yes, they should have a list of who's in the UK who's qualified. Um, there's a couple of guys in. Um, who judged the IBQM ones who are KCBS which is what they've done a little bit I know there are a few guys around cool yeah no I've, yeah that's what I was surprised at is that a few have been in touch so yeah that's, that's awesome you're also sanctioned to judge a few other things so like uh, steak cookout and stuff like that so yeah uh, how how would did that go? Have you, have you judged any uh, competitions yet, or is it like quite a new thing that you're looking to get into? And it was the chance to become sanctioned and, and then hopefully get involved with a few competitions in the future. Yeah, it was. Um, they just started doing a few of them in Europe um, at the moment. Um, so I, I got sanctioned when the the, the guys who organised that came out from the states. Um, so I judged one competition in Holland, but they have five, four or five of those in in Europe, I think. And and what are they? They, did last year. they are the. So it's the State Cook-Off Association. Um, it's a great thing to have a bolted onto another competition because it's you cook two ribeye steaks to medium rare, and that's it. You turn them in, um, and they're judged. And it's you don't need a big trailer load of stuff. You don't need a big uh, complex smoker. You don't need to learn how to cook brisket. It's just cooking a steak. And I think most people probably imagine they they're able to do that um, and it was a fascinating thing to judge because so everybody gets the same ribeye steak that's all come from, from the same supplier they lay all the steaks on a big table and you get a lottery ball as to when you're going to choose your steaks off the table you go off you've got two and you cook one as an experiment and the other one is your turning one and then um, the judges judge that and it's just amazing that the same cut of meat cooked by 10 or 15 different people could taste so different. It was just, yeah. it just blew my mind. And then um, the guys that come out from the US will teach you all about what to look for in a good ribeye, what makes a great ribeye. Again, they'll cook a few, you know, well and a few badly and a few indifferently, and you sort of get, have a look at how those all sort of turn out. And it's a similar sort of um, judging system to KCBS, but they have a slightly different scoring system. And then you give that an overall impression mark as well, which I always sort of quite like. Um, and they've got to be cooked to medium rare, which I found a little bit difficult because I prefer them cooked rarer than that. So when you get a steak that's cooked rarer, you you sort of you want to give it a higher score, but it's supposed to be cooked to medium rare. And if it's cooked rarer than that, you mark it down, which I found a bit difficult. And I hear like but it's a great thing. Sorry, I was going to say that as you were saying about the IBQN, how they're more sort of. Uh kinder to to newer competitors also the yeah. steak cook-off association they're also really about promoting cooking and and they're not they don't encourage bad scoring and stuff like that do they it's, it's all about sort of people having a good time and an encouragement and obviously people winning it is a competition but they try to be as uh as positive as possible don't they 
Yeah, and I think um, I think their sort of view is that you know if you're not giving the stake a nine or an eight, then it's it's bombed anyway. So there's no point in giving it a five or a four or a three. You know, all that's doing is making people feel bad. There will be stakes in there that every score's a nine, and that's the one that's going to win, and the rest are just you know people having a great time. But it's a great you know it's a great thing to do because people just turn up with a little grill, just cook a steak, turn it in, you've competed. And it's probably a good way for people to get into sort of competition barbecue a little bit. Can you use like any method you want to grill it? Yeah. Yeah. So do you get yeah. much variation on that, or does everyone tend to cook it in the same way? Um, you get people using grill grates, you know, the sort of aluminium grill grate thing. Yeah. And then at their competitions, the people who manufacture grill grates will give a... I think it's a $200 prize to the team that scores the best with using their grill grates as well. So there's all sorts of little twists and turns in it. Mm. It, is really, it is a really good event to sort of stick on a competition. And I think they ran one or two last year, but this year there's probably been five or six at the KCBS events. They'll do that on the Saturday. They'll have a steak round on the Saturday. And a lot of teams take part in that. It's quite, it's quite a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, some people do take it quite seriously, though, don't they? Because I, I think I was listening to... I don't know, either a YouTube video or another podcast or something where they were talking about doing the stake-off and they, like, have their timings down to precision of, like, we'll turn it after this many seconds and yeah, like, yeah, timing yeah, yeah. it all on the watches and it's, like, all very quickly that it all happens, but it's, like, they'll measure the thickness and calculate the timings based on the thickness and everything. Right, yeah, yeah. But you still sort of got the randomness of the meat there, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, but again, they they have a they've just had their um, the national or the the international world final state cook-off competition on a big farm in Texas, and I think you get invited to that if you're the best sort of European team, you go and cook cook the the best American teams. They have prize money and stuff. It's you know it's a good little good little event. Mm. I like I like to do cheap two level more. of entry to get into it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned a bit that you've done some competitions and cooking yourself. What, yeah. what were you were you part of a competition team were you or are you more of a home cook? Um we set up a competition team. Um so when I first came back from doing my KCDF course in America and um, we went to the first grill stock, so I sort of annoyed John Finch for weeks and weeks and weeks and just kept asking if I could come and judge and he just gave up in the end and let me to stop me nagging him. So that's how I sort of got involved in grill stock to start with. But I, I took a few friends over who were sort of into sort of home cooking and we decided um, we'd um, set up a, a barbecue team and we met this guy, I don't know if you know, N. Tobrelitz, who's an Estonian guy who, who lives in England quite a lot. But he runs a big barbecue competition in Estonia and he persuaded us to go to Estonia. So we flew out and competed. And um, it was the only time our teams ever competed, and we came third out of 85 teams in Estonia. Wow. We cooked um, roast, we cooked an English roast dinner on a, on a barbecue, so we did a full fillet and then cooked Yorkshire pudding, and we did really well. Gosh. But mm. it's just it's just getting the um, it's just getting the time, you know, and getting the commitment. And one of the guys was a chef, the other guy was a policeman, um, and trying to get get enough time to keep practicing and commit to doing it, we just we just couldn't find the time. Um, so the teams that are able to do that, you know, they're investing so much time and effort in, in, in competing. Um, 
And then I sort of help out um, Byron Chisholm, who comes out from the US. He competes in a few European competitions every year. So I sort of helped him out at, at a few of those. Um, so he'll fly in. Um, he'll borrow a grill off, a, off the organisers and he'll borrow a gazebo and he'll just cook up in a, in a competition. And that's been great for my home cooking just because I've sort of seen a master at work. You know, Byron's been cooking for 25 years. Um, so just to sit alongside him and see him what he's doing and pitch a few ideas has been really useful for me. Awesome. What what do you cook on at home? What's your weapon of choice? Um, I've got a little monolith and the little monolith juniors that I use for sort of low and slow stuff. Um, but but I sort of started out with, with Pro Cues. We sort of met Ian out in Estonia and he sort of supplied us with, with barbecues for a little while. And um, I live in a little village in, in the Forest of Dean, then, in a place called Park End, and there's only 300 people. And at one point, there were six smokers in a village of 300 people. <laughs> and if you go around now, there's still people who've got, like, a pro-cue smoker who'll just be sitting there smoking stuff. And it's just like a little focus of barbecue. Home cooks, you know, they're people who they don't compete much. They've got, One guy's got an offset, and he just cooks anything in it. You know, it's Sunday dinner, you just chuck that in there instead of putting it in the oven. And that, to me, is like the real sort of spirit of, of, of barbecue at home. Um, so, yeah, I've had, a, I've had a couple of pro-cues. I've got a little ceramic at the moment. Um, I've got a little rotisserie that I imported from the U.S. that, that I really like as well. Yeah, yeah so did you Never find yourself enough, cooking a lot of barbecue? Yeah, I normally, yeah, in the week, I'll probably cook two or three times, three or four times in the barbecue. Mostly grilling stuff, to be honest. Um, but I will do sort of chickens or... Um, beef short ribs on on the smoker, I think it's still my favourite. I've never cooked a brisket though. No. I think I've seen brisket go so wrong so often <laughs> in so many competitions. I just won't go near it. You know, I'm not spending sixteen hours for this tennis ball to emerge. <laughs> <laughs> you Dan Dan did one. Was it last weekend? No, wasn't it? I think, yeah, yeah, and it a, came out really good, didn't it? It came out really good. Yeah, really really happy with it. I, I don't know, I held it for like a stupid amount. I held it for like six hours afterwards, after it came off. And uh, it was like a 14-hour cook, 225. Uh, didn't yeah. wrap it during the cook at all, right. which is a bit uh, bit different. <clears throat> but I'm a, I'm a barky sort of guy. And I just wanted to experiment with it and just see, uh, see how it held up with sort of moisture, which is also very important. And... And yeah, and uh, I got the brisket from from Mark from uh, Bob's Family Butchers, and uh, it was a fantastic bit of meat. Uh, after and also used like some of the knowledge that I got from Ed and Emma at their competition class. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. which was which was awesome. Learned loads over the weekends, and uh, and just yeah, cooked it and took it off, wrapped it in butcher's paper, f- and then held it for. I think it was, I said five hours the other day, but I think it was more approaching six hours. And because yeah. uh, I was out all day comparing at an event, uh, the Banham on Sea Food Festival, we were uh, running the, the stage, the food demo stage all day. So I went there and did that and then came back and brought it out and sliced it. And it was just like absolute heaven. It was, it was real. I was just, I was surprised at myself, to be honest. <laughs> a little bit nervous, <coughs> you? as you were leaving, you're like, oh, oh I, I don't know nervous. what I'm going to be going back to here. <laughs> I mean, it is, when, you, when you're spending like 55, 60, 70 quid on, on a bit of meat, and you're going out for the day, and then <laughs> just leaving. holding it, just leaving it 
in a box for six hours as well. It's it's it is a nervous thing. So you and again, like when you try pupils like Ed and Emma's and at their competition course, I think that I tried their low and slow one they did, and that was potentially the best brisket I'd ever tried. I think it was the best brisket I'd ever eaten, and uh, and then their hot and fast one, which was also very good as well. I think I prefer personally the low and slow one they did, even though I know they're cooking the hot and fast one for their competitions. I think my taste preferred the low and slow. But, yeah, I was really, really happy with it. It turned out really, really well, and everyone loved it. went down an absolute treat. And, yeah, really, really pleased with it. So I think I'm going to give it another go, get another one on the order from, from Mark, and uh, have another cook. Why not? Yeah. I know the soil thing is quite interesting on brisket. Um, so when you when you particularly at grill stock, you're seeing quite a lot of quite a lot of briskets sort of during the day. The number of them that just taste like pot roast because I think people are foiling them too much. And you're right. I think you lose the bark and you lose that essence of brisket if you foil it. I know it keeps it moist, but and it's a it's a, it's a debate to be had. But I remember I remember one year judging at grill stock with um. Texas Joe, and all he did was sat there going, "This isn't brisket. This isn't brisket. This isn't brisket. This isn't brisket." And I think you know he's come from you know a very traditional route of what a brisket should look like. I think yeah, cooking it unfoiled and getting a good bark on it and getting that flavour on the outside is the, is the way. Well, for me, it was just I was I've sort of recently made the decision. Like I would say, the last sort of five butts I've done have been. That sounded a bit jazzy. The last five pork butts <laughs> I've cooked have been uh, <laughs> have been unwrapped. That sounds yeah. Right, okay, anyway, I want I left them unwrapped because I love a good bark and yeah, and that that's the choice I made. And then I cooked some ribs the other week, and uh, and again left them unwrapped and had an absolute beautiful result. And I was just like, okay, well, let's just give it a go with the brisket as well and and see what because. I'm the same as you. I, I have a real problem with the the pot roasty sort of finish. I I completely understand what you're saying, and that is something that and it it completely changes the flavour and texture of the brisket. And I can't describe it any other way other than the pot roasty finish. And that's 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 what it is to me. And I don't. I don't know because I haven't asked every time I've had it. I've not asked the cook how they cooked it, but so it does happen, and and that is one thing that I I don't like, and I think it isn't brisket. It doesn't taste. It tastes different. It's a different thing for me, but uh, but yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but that's where I decided. <laughs> but, <you agree. laughs> but I agree with it, and I love brisket. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people often ask me what my favourite is. I still think it's. I think I think a good rig is a thing of is a thing is a thing you need to try and find. You know, there are great ribs and there are average ribs and there are nice ribs. But people always say to me, you know, what's you know what you're looking for when you're sort of judging barbecue. And I still remember two or three times out of the twenty competitions I've judged, when you take a bite off a piece of rib that's not too saucy because t- teams oversource everything too much in my opinion um, but you take a bite of a rib and there's a little dribble of juice just runs down the bone as you pull the meat away from it and that I've remembered the two or three times that's happened to me and that's what you're looking for you know it's a little bit 
crunchy on the outside, not too much sauce, nice spice, but it's the texture of the meat. It's just perfect. And you don't see that very often because it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? You know, you're cooking those ribs for sort of four or five hours for a 10-minute window, and then they sit in a box. And if you're unlucky, they sit in a box for 15 minutes while they, before they get to a judge's table. There's so many variables around getting that piece of meat perfect. It's not perfect when it left you. It's It's got to be perfect when the judge opens the box. And I think there's a bit of a random element there that you need to try and... Um, overcome something yeah, like you say it's because it's a random element you can't even if you practiced at home to allow it 15 minutes to sit in the box maybe one time it'll only sit in there for five yeah so you, you can never really it's always going to be down to a little bit of luck at the end isn't it definitely yeah but it's the same team's always winning in europe don't it yeah yeah it's got you look a, at there you is know some skill involved yeah it's not all luck. yeah there's like there's like there's like <laughs> half a dozen teams that are always in the top three four or five people you know, I could I could tell you who some of them are, you know, just off the top of my head. And they're yeah. all done. And, like, if you look at the European, there's a European barbecue championship thing where they they give teams points every time they compete. So it's not the KCBS ladder, it's a, it's a, it's a European thing. And it's normally the top three or four teams are always the same teams, and they're always the ones doing well in, in competitions. So I think there's been 35 competitions in Europe this year. And the people that have come out on top are, you know, I think the bunch of swines and Miss Piggies were sort of both in the top three or four. And there's a couple of Dutch teams that are up there as well. But those are people, if you go to the competition, they're always doing really well. And that's what I was saying before. You don't recognise their turn-ins, but you know, well, this is of that sort of standard. It's probably mm-hmm. one of those five teams all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. We are at an hour, so I am going to jump in and... and Cut that there. We Ben's shaking chat. his head at me. We could just chat for hours, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think we need to stop this one, but there we go. If we we are, made the rules, so we are to stick end. to them. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much for coming on, Andy. It's been a yeah, pleasure. Right. Yeah. Really awesome. enjoyed it. Yeah. And, uh, thank look, you, yeah. I'm sure we'll catch up with you soon and uh, look forward to seeing you at the next event that you're at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go and watch my kitchen rules now and see what's happening there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll tr- we're going to have to shoot off and, shoot off and try and see it ourselves <laughs> right catch you soon mate right. yeah take care bye. thanks for much Cheers. bye see you soon bye bye Ooh, almost press stop then but I need to do the outro so thanks for tuning in guys we've recorded yet another awesome podcast to get you over hump day as always we're brought to you by ProQ Barbecue Gourmet and Smoke with Shack our awesome sponsors ProQ is dedicated to providing with quality smoking products with top notch service and free advice yep. to, to, from beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Proky Smokers. So if you're thinking about buying your first smoker or wanting to upgrade or looking for some authentic charcoal cabinet smokers, check them out over at Max Barbecue. Barbecue Gourmet is promoting real barbecue and supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning barbecue rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories from the US and around the world. And you can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. So regardless of how you cook, whether it's on charcoal, wood, gas or electric, the real taste of summer can be yours all year round. And Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoking goodness, you provide the talent. So if you're looking for smoking wood chunks, dust, chips or planks, then head on over to smokewoodchat.com and you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodchat. So goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And I'm the best See you next time, guys. Yeah, the only thing is, do you know Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time they provide the smoking goodness? I provide the talent. That's pretty awkward though, because what 
James said to me the other day is that he told me he, he divided the smoky goodness and you had no talent. 